Today's episode is a highly actionable masterclass in optimizing the words you use at your restaurant. The words you use in your social media content, on your emails, your website, and specifically, we dive into how to develop your menus so that they lead to more sales and repeat visits. We're lucky to be joined by Annika Wainwright, a journalist turned copywriter who specializes in food and drink brands. She's worked with huge brands like Coca-Cola to many single location concepts. You might wanna have a pen and paper handy in this episode because there are plenty of high value insights you'll want to act on right away. Let's hop into it. Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. Annika, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. So I generally start these podcasts off with the same question, which is how would you describe your area of expertise or your zone of genius? Hmm, Okay. Um, I guess what I am really good at is helping um, restaurants really connect with consumers and take them on that deliberate journey from first time visitor through to return customer through to eventually becoming fans and ambassadors of the brand. So it's that connection piece and then the deliberate customer journey afterwards. Awesome. And is there one thing about that you wish you had learned years ago? Um, I've, I've kind of enjoyed the long journey. <laughs> so maybe I should explain a little bit about myself. I, I grew up in a foodie family on a small island off the west coast of Sweden. My grandfather was a fisherman and I attribute him uh, with most of my love for food because he, he would go out, catch amazing fish. He was a great forager. He knew all the best spots for mushrooms and berries and between the fish and the other produce that we took home together and my grandmother being a great cook, I just grew up absolutely loving food and I wanted to be a chef. And my parents said, oh, no, you're far too clever and good at school for for going to catering college. So I wasn't actually allowed to train as a chef. My brother, who's four years younger than me, was allowed to train as as a chef. He's got two restaurants and three hotels and earns way more money than me now. But um, I think I have better quality of life. So what I decided to do was if I can't cook the food, I'm going to write about it. So I, I went away and I studied journalism and psychology as a split split major and I was a food editor for about 16 years and I worked in London for um, the UK's biggest restaurant guide called Square Meal and I was reviewing restaurants and I became quite well known in the industry for when I'd been somewhere instead of just writing the review and leaving them to to sweat over it or (laughs) you know take the bad news once it was out and printed um, I used to write little notes about what what people could do to improve their restaurants and um, it got to the stage where a lot of restaurant owners were um, approaching me saying would you come to our friends and family events could we have some of your feedback 
And one of my PR friends said to me, Annika, you should bottle this stuff. You should sell this. This should be your thing. So um, I kind of left my journalism days with um, an idea that I was pretty confident would work in terms of um, helping restaurants just do a better job at um, marketing themselves and presenting them better, themselves better uh, to the customer. Um, so we, um, my co-editor and I uh, launched Two Forks as essentially a mystery dining business. And we had a product we called the Restaurant MOT, where we would review every aspect of the customer experience at a restaurant from the online presence before the visit through to what the exterior of the restaurant looked like, what the display menu looked like, what the service was like, the food, the full experience, the follow-up. And we would produce this lengthy report that was super popular. And we discovered pretty quickly that um, actually the restaurants that needed our help were generally not the best ones. And we were having a lot of really bad meals. And it wasn't really why we entered into the profession in the first place. You know, I, I do this for the love of the food and the love of the people that work in hospitality. And it just it, it got a little bit tedious. Um, and meanwhile, while we were working on these reports, people said to us, look, you're the writers. If you say our website needs improvement or our confirmation emails need improvement, why don't you um, sort that out for us? So it was in the process, actually, of Googling how to improve a restaurant website that I discovered that there's such a thing as copywriting. I didn't even know um, what that term even was. Um, so I, I found out that there's all this, there are all these writers out here that use their love of an industry and their talent for writing, and they combine it with this big piece over here called persuasion that I've actually studied in my psychology degree. I, I just thought I've hit the jackpot. I can work in an industry that I love and I can use all the things that I studied to learn. Um, and so I joined a few copywriting communities. I read every book I could come across in terms of um, human behavior, persuasion, all of that stuff. And we kind of started the business from there. So um, we started out as quite generalist. We will do any copy for any restaurant. Mm -hmm. But recently we've narrowed it down to three sort of avenues, one of them being tone of voice development. So finding that confident um, tone that really fits your brand and connects with the customers. Uh, we also do customer journey mapping where we um, help paint that full journey from you know, where people first hear about you through to their experience in and around your restaurant and the follow-up afterwards. And we also do menu optimization just because I think the menu is the most important document or piece of copy that any restaurant will ever uh, produce. So um, and I also I'm, I'm a complete menu geek. I've been collecting menus since the early 90s and I just love menus as a, as a document, as a piece of art. I love it. So those are the three things that we specialize in now and that we help restaurants with. Amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, dive in a little bit more into the menu development process. Uh, I'm curious, where do you usually see the most or like the highest impact low hanging fruit for restaurants? Like, for example, I'd, I'd love it if you could share one thing most restaurants could go take action on right now to have, you know, some some, you know, high impact long term results. Talk to your customers. <laughs> that is the simple advice that I think is essentially the answer to any restaurant marketing question. Um, 
restaurants do not do enough of talking to their customers. They don't do enough surveys. They don't do enough just chatting casually with their customers in the restaurant environment. We take it a step further and we, we sometimes do intercepts in restaurants where we ask people why they've ordered in a certain way. Um, we do focus groups, we do interviews, but talking to your customers is the number one thing. Um, and even if you just put together um, a really simple survey that, that just asks, what do you like about us? What would you improve if you have the power? And how would you describe our restaurant to a friend who's not been? I call that my magic three word survey. I think that every restaurant should send it out at least once a year, just to get a gauge of what people like about you and to get ideas of how you can improve. And in the way that people talk about you when they answer those questions, you will also be able to gauge that sort of voice of customer data that will guide you towards a voice that really resonates with those customers. The, the easiest way to communicate with customers in a way that makes sense to them is to use the words and the phrases that they use. So talking to your customers is definitely the best low hanging fruit. It's where you'll identify your problems and also where you'll see opportunities. That's great. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's always, or it's often the simplest things that are just staring us right in the face. Um, I, I also, I have a hunch that, you know, things like content and copy is an activity many owners and operators either choose to do themselves or, um, you know, maybe they, they, they farm it out to someone, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but what I, my hunch is that many of them view it as a nice to have that will often fall to the bottom of the priority ladder. Uh, so my question is, A, would you agree with that? And if so, how do you help them discover what's possible when their content and copy and, and all these things we've been talking about is really dialed? Yeah, I would actually agree that some content and copy is kind of nice to have and perhaps not essential. The way that I open operators' eyes to the possibilities is to start with the copy that's closest to the sale. So menus, obviously, once you've tweaked, you can start by tweaking just a few tiny bits on your menu and then follow the sales and see what happens. Um, sometimes just by reordering your drinks list, you can boost uptake of certain drinks uh, by hundreds of percent. <laughs> it's quite incredible the, the difference that small changes can make. Changing a description, adding a little bit of, um, of behavioral triggers like, we like to sometimes on a menu include a bit of um, social proof. So basically saying our favorite burger instead of our cheeseburger. Adding that word favorite can boost sales quite significantly. So even if you're just playing around with it yourself, you can try tiny little things, monitor the sales and see what happens. So it's when you can actually see a difference in sales that makes you a lot more excited to try different things on a menu. Similarly, um, driving booking. So if, if you move the closer to the booking as you can with your copy, you're usually talking about email marketing. That's very easy to measure. So if you invest specifically in emails that are designed to drive bookings for a, for a specific period of time, you can compare to that time the year before and see how many more emails you get. So sometimes it's about seeing the actual figures, whether it's sales figures or booking figures in black and white to realize what a difference that good copy can, can make. Um, so yeah, start as, as close to the sale or the conversion as you can and, and move from there. I love that. Yeah. I, 
a lot of, I think a lot of restaurant owners and operators have a bit of a disdain for marketing. And, and I think that's just because they, they don't know whether or not it's working. And so I think as soon as you can prove that there is incremental revenue or there's an ROI on an activity that they do, then it becomes really exciting and fun. And so I, I'm really keen to get into this. I'm really excited to jam on some menu development stuff. Um, yeah. And I'll, but, but first I actually, I, I wonder if you've already answered this because I know that when you, when you go into a restaurant, you have, you do some research and I'd love to hear a, a bit more about what that process looks like. And, and I'm also curious if, if there are ever any establishments you conclude that you can't or won't help. Well, my business partner, Anna, and I made a pact about four years ago that we would only work with people we like on projects that we truly believe in, because nice. life is too short to work with people that aren't nice or on pro projects that you don't believe in. So there's actually quite a few people that we won't work with, mostly because we just don't feel the connection. We don't believe in what they put out there. So the quality has to be there to start off with. And we've got to like them as a person. One of my clients said recently, you know, that kickoff call, you know, the discovery call that we had on Zoom, I felt like I was being auditioned. I said, yes, Sophie, that's because you were. Uh, we do audition everyone, um, essentially, with a quick call just to see whether um, we, we say, do they pass the pub test? Is this someone that I want to go out and have a beer with? Yeah. Um, and so that's that's just the selfish way of how I run my business. I don't think that any restaurant is beyond help as long as there's passion there. And as long as, you know, they're not just trying to fool people into ordering really terrible food. But um, and even them, you know, many optimizations specifically, I think, can can work in any restaurant even the bad ones and even if your heart isn't in it there are there are techniques you can apply to to up your sales essentially um what was the other part of that question yes yeah, sorry i tied in two there two and one I, i'm curious <laughs> about what your actual research process looks like oh okay so we call our menu optimization program the 360 menu optimization and that's because we look at all the different corners of a business. So we always, always, always start with the customer first. So we will always do a survey. And then the last question in, this, in that survey is something along the lines of, we'll be hosting a few informal interviews over the next few days. Would you be happy to jump on a Zoom call? Yes or no? And amazingly, about 50% of people always say, yes, I'm happy to chat, which is incredible that, that your customers are happy to give of their time um, in that respect. So we do, we do surveys and interviews, and then depending on the objective of the project, sometimes we also have to observe people in the restaurant environment. That's been quite difficult during COVID, particularly here in England, where we've had lockdowns and things. So um, we've actually not done that over the last few months and we've just used Zoom interviews and it's worked almost as well as, as it did before. So we've decided to just sort of streamline and, and keep most of it on Zoom. Um, and then depending on budget, if there's a big budget, we'd love to also do focus groups where we um, have a venue where we 
uh, or even use the, the restaurant or the private dining room in the restaurant where we do some role play and we put people on tables with actual menus and we talk through how they um, interact with those menus. But the customer research piece is the most important and the first, that, first one that we do. Um, also, we sometimes, um, or actually we always at some stage look at online reviews. So um, this is a trick I've learned from a Canadian copywriter, actually, Joanna Weeb, who taught me all about re review mining, as she calls it. So we'll go on to TripAdvisor and Google reviews and we'll, we'll see what people are saying specifically about the menu. And also when people are complaining about the food, we try to guess whether some of those complaints could, could be down to the menu not doing its job well enough. So the customer research piece is, is the biggest one and the weightiest one. We then do a back of house um, piece where we interview um, the oper operational side of the restaurant. So we, we interview the chefs um, to see whether there are certain things of, of the men on the menu that are a pain to put together. You know, there's no reason having a dish on your menu that is driving everybody mad operationally. So quite often there are things um, in order to improve a menu, you quite often have to cut a few things and it makes sense to cut the things that are a nightmare for, for back of house. Also, we can find out whether there are certain things that are really easy and smooth to prep together. So then it would make sense to maybe highlight them as a package. So, uh, you know, putting the burger and chips next to each other or, you know, maybe combining three starters into like a little tasting platter and making it easier to shift food out. So that's the back of house. And then we have the front of house piece where we interview the servers in the dining room and we find out it's kind of where you get at the customer feedback that people would never write in a review. Mm -hmm. So if you think about review writing, people are either loving the place so much that they're like, oh my God, five stars got to write a review or they had a terrible experience and it's really hard to capture those three-star reviews you know the people who go all the time have a you know a decent experience or you know they're regulars in a restaurant they're not going to write a review every single time so by interviewing the servers we get at the um, at that customer piece that we can't get by looking at reviews or also perhaps the stuff that people don't really tell you in a survey or an interview scenario so it's um we interviewed the, the service about reactions on people's faces. So, you know, which are the wow dishes? Which are the plates that you know you're going to put down and you're going to get a smile? Mm -hmm. Which are the drinks that when you carry them through on the tray, the whole dining room is, is looking? In, in London at the moment, we call it the espresso martini effect. <laughs> if if espresso martinis are going out the whole room wants them. So um, it's, it's finding out those little things. Also finding out um, how people change their ordering behavior uh, according to the occasion. So do people in a celebration group order differently? Do people order differently when they're in um, a couple or there are two people on a date or they're two friends or whether they're uh, people together? Because the sales data only really tells you volume of a certain dish. It doesn't really say why certain dishes are selling more or whatever so we can we can usually identify a few things that are really easy to push on a menu to say like oh are you in a group share this dish between the four of you or that kind of opportunity we can identify that and then the final piece that we look at is the sales data so we look at number of items sold for every item on the menu we look at the um the price of every individual menu item and we look at the GP of every individual menu item 
And then we Sorry, work the, uh, out the, the GP. Oh, the gross profit. Sorry. Gotcha. <laughs> That's possibly UK restaurant speak. <laughs> Essentially, what we're looking to do is to work out what is the cash per sale in the till every time you sell this dish mm -hmm. uh, or this menu item. It could be drinks or it could be um, it could be food. And what we do is we uh, we sort um, we put it all into a spreadsheet and we sort the spreadsheet first by number of sales of each item. So we're trying within the different category. So we're comparing sides with sides and main courses with main courses, desserts with desserts. We're trying to figure out which ones are selling above average and which ones are selling below average. Then we look at um, the cash in the till um, for the for those dishes and we're trying to find which are the ones that make us a, a higher than average um, dollar value per sale and which is the lower. Mm -hmm. And then between those, we draw up a sort of Venn diagram and we find the dishes that are the superstars, you know, the ones that, that sell more than average and they make you more than average money. Those are the ones that we know we have to push on the menu to, to make more money. Then we've got the dishes that they don't sell very well, but they make us good money when we do. So that's a good challenge for me as a copywriter to work out how can I sell more of these? I want to sell more of these. People love them when they do have them, but they're not flying out past as, 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 off, as quickly as the others. Um, then, of course, you have the dishes that sell really well, but they don't necessarily make you so much money. Mm -hmm. those are the sort of standard dishes it's often a favorite thing that a lot of people order like like a type of fries like cheesy fries maybe um or it could be a, a signature dish that perhaps because you're so proud of it you're using better ingredients and you're perhaps not making as much profit out of it but people love it those are also really powerful because by placing those strategically around your menu you can sort of um, get other items to sort of bask in the halo effect of, of the attraction that those dishes get so you can play around with that and then the last category of dishes are the ones that don't make you a lot of money and don't sell very well and you should just get rid of those straight away mm -hmm. and that's usually the hardest battle i have because chefs and i understand them because that's where i come from and what i wanted to do as well when you're proud of a dish you tend to get really really attached to it and you don't want to cut them so i always have to say to the chefs gone from the menu doesn't have to mean gone forever you can bring them back as specials and you know if it's a, a, a weekly special or a monthly special it, it, it's something that you can create a bit of buzz around they will get noticed more and maybe people will start calling for them to go back on the menu and and maybe that way you can you can sort of welcome them back in but for now let's buy ourselves some space to play with so we can have fun on the menu and let's cut those things out that aren't working and then we can figure out whether we can up the percentage of profit on them or whether we can um, up the sales in some way but if they're not making you much money and they're not selling very well they really shouldn't be on the menu i love that really well thought out process i'm curious how how long what's the timeline of that usually look like so the actual, um, the, the research part of the process and the creation of the menu tends to be a sort of 12 week process. Mm -hmm. And then we do iteration and testing um, at the one month, three month, six month and 12 month stage. So we tend to work for a full year uh, with an operator on their menus. Um, but the, the sort of 
the early part where you where you dive into the research and and you start making some changes in your restaurant you can do that in sort of um six weeks if you're doing it yourself or if you're working with us because we have to fit it in around other projects it's more like a 12-week process but it's it's definitely worth trying out even if you're doing it yourself um it it gets really addictive once you start seeing the results you want to mm. do more and more of it and i always recommend that restaurateurs don't think of it as a project that you start and you finish by a certain um date menus should always be living documents that evolve the whole time and um, what we do with our clients when we um, get to the testing stage where we we've drawn up our hypotheses we say look we think that if we move things around this way or we change these descriptions we believe that we will sell more um, or we believe that it will meet some other objective amazingly because this industry is so full of wonderful people it's very often not about the profit to the people that we work with um, a lot of them just want people to have a better time in their restaurants and menus can help you do that as well so um what we do is once we work through those goals and we've done our hypotheses and we've printed that first new menu with a new copy on it and the new layout, um, we get to the testing stage and we teach people how we do that. So um, we get them excited about it along the way so that even when we no longer work with them, they continue. And I keep getting letters and emails from, from past customers who say, oh, we, we change something with every single menu update now. And we're getting really geeky about looking at the figures and how it changes things. And it, it's super cool. Restaurant owners, operators, and managers, before we continue with the episode, I want to ask you a question. Do you know if your marketing is working? Most restaurant owners are relying solely on organic social media and word of mouth marketing. While these are both powerful, they ultimately leave the growth of your restaurant to chance. You can't control algorithms and you certainly can't control what people do. But you can use a system that will have a huge impact over time. I'd love to show you the guest magnet method. It's a simple but cohesive system that will accelerate the growth of your restaurant in a way that you can measure. It is backed by ROI, a return on your investment. If you want to learn about the most powerful way to grow your restaurant sales this year, send an email to kyle at guestgetter.co with magnet in the subject line and I'll get you all the details. All right, back to the show. You've kind of already answered it, but what I was really curious about is, you know, let's say that I'm a restaurant owner operator and I want to conduct my own in-house menu engineering, menu development process. I was I was hoping that you could kind of take us through what that process would look like, which you have kind of just done. Um, is there is there anything else that you would you would add to it? Would you you know, for example, would you recommend? Okay, so the the owner, the chef, and maybe the management team get together and and then this is what they do. Yeah, so um, obviously, same process as my own, I would say, start with your customer research, do a simple survey, ask people what they like most about your menu, what they would change if they could, is there anything they would add to it? Is there something on there that they don't like? Is there something on there that they find difficult to understand? UX is a huge part of, of menu. So if there's somewhere that people stumble, um, you should try to identify that. Yeah, actually, if I may interject, uh, U UX and so user experience. Um, this is yeah, that's interesting because, 
for example, my, myself, I might have an idea of how to go about tackling some of the other areas, but how to actually design a menu optimally. Could you share with us a bit about how someone could, could do that? I'm not a designer myself, so I tend to, um, I do some really, really bad sketching and then I hand it over to the design team. But um, flow is something to think about in menu. So you got to make sure that um, it, it sort of makes sense to the way that people tend to look at a document. So in the West, we, we read from left to right. So if, if you have a, a menu, um, you've got to sort of bear that in mind that people are going to read from left to, to right. It makes sense if there are, there are horizontal lines to signify different sections. But it, it all comes down to what kind of experience you want to create. Some of the best menus I've come across are just single sheets of A4 paper that are printed on the day and they don't have any design elements at, at all. Mm -hmm. But that will only work for a certain type of restaurant. Um, there, there are also restaurants that um, need to, to um, section it off more because they have such a breadth of what they offer. Like, I would never try to attempt, for example, for the, the Cheesecake Factory in, in America, which famously has the longest restaurant menu in the world. Mm -hmm. I would never try to do that on a single page. If there, was, if there weren't any headers or, or sections to, to guide people, they would just be absolutely overwhelmed with the selection. So it depends a little bit of what, um, around what you're trying to offer. But again, um, as I say, answer to every single question, ask your customers. The, one of the key questions to ask is, um, you know, how do you, how do you use this menu? Tell me about how you're looking at it. Um, did you notice the sides, for example? So if, 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 you, if you look at your sales data and you see that you're selling loads more main courses than you sell side dishes, perhaps people aren't noticing the sides. Maybe they need to be shifted up. There, 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 there are sort of menu graveyard position. So like the bottom left corner, um, you know, that's where you should put your allergy information and stuff that isn't designed to sell anything. People will look for that. Um, if there's something you really want to promote, you should bring it sort of diagonally upwards to, towards the sort of right corner. But you can also play around with placing things near your favorite dishes because you know that's going to get eyeballs. So there are lots of techniques like that that you can pull. But if you're doing it yourself, talk to your customers find out what they like, what they don't like, whether anything trips them up, then sit down with your team, ask your front of house team, you know, what are the questions you get every single day? Any server will tell you about the stuff that, you know, how large is the pizza? Um, does this, do the fries come with mayo on the side? Or like all of these, the, the, there will be questions that they get asked over and over day in, day out, that may even lead you, you know, we're in the middle of a global staffing crisis at the moment. You might even be upsetting your team to the stage where they're ready to leave for another restaurant because they're just so fed up with getting the same questions. Those are the questions your menu should be taking care of for them. So interview your teams, find out what people are asking about, find out, um, you know, what seems to be tripping people up, what, um, are there are there sections that the servers believe the the customers don't even notice like um, are you not selling enough cocktails it might be that they're just not seeing them maybe you should have a couple of cocktails right at the top of the menu just to establish we do cocktails here and then the full list could follow in the drinks list or on a separate page um, but ask your staff do they feel like there are 
any sections that just seem to go unnoticed and people are asking them about things that are already on the menu that maybe would indicate that it isn't phrased correctly or it's not highlighted enough or brought out enough on the menu. So that would be the second step, the in-house interviews, and then do that simple thing uh, with trying to get the Venn diagram of the four categories of your dishes. So the ones that um, that sell the most, or high, higher than average sales, higher than average profit per sale. Those are your superstars. Treat them with the respect that they deserve, place them in prominent positions, sell more of those. Those are the ones also, menus don't work in isolation. So um, they will always work around the steps of service of the restaurant. So those superstar dishes are the ones that you should talk to your teams about. You know, when someone asks what's good here, those are the dishes you want them to recommend, you know, because you know people like them, you sell a lot of them and they make you a lot of money. So why would you push anything else? Um, then of course you want to, um, identify those dishes that sell great, but you're not making so much money. Maybe have a look at how you can reshuffle, um, you know, your, your profits around that. Maybe you could nudge the price up slightly, make them a little more profitable, or just sort of hijack them as those leading lights for the halo effect that, that casts eyes on other parts of the menu. Cut the ones that aren't making you much money, and try to figure out why it is that the ones that are making you money, but you're not selling enough of, um, why can't, why aren't they selling? What can you do to promote those better? Totally. And I'm also, I'm really curious about the pitfalls. I'm, I'm curious if you've ever made, you know, menu changes and then noticed that sales were actually somehow negatively impacted. No, I think because we tread so carefully, because we look at all four corners of the operation, um, every single hypothesis that we test tends to be uh, founded on so much information and solid information. Um, I've never, I've never come across a disaster where we've changed something that just didn't go our way. We're also quite cautious about, you know, what things we take onwards for testing it's it's never a great idea to completely rewrite a menu because you are going to have regulars that like it a certain way so we tend to um recommend incremental changes so maybe we'll we'll test five to ten things that maybe it's a change of an order here or we change the copy a little bit in one description maybe we add a new um, sub head or like a section head to explain a little bit more what's in that section uh, they tend to be small changes so no it's never it's never gone touch wood it's never gone <laughs> wrong so far that's awesome and i also i love that you you touched on how a menu should really be a support tool for your team and it should make their job as easy as possible and you know like you mentioned there's a the, there's a real shift in the staff staffing dynamics you know uh and i'm curious you know, because because pre-pandemic staffing was generally not much of an issue for a lot of establishments. And so in most cases, they were keen to get more guests, get more customers, increase their sales, increase their repeat visits. Whereas now, have you noticed that that interest has fallen to the wayside a bit in favor of we need more staff in order to, to you know, um, deliver to these to these guests and customers have you have you noticed that 
Well, for many restaurateurs in in Britain, we're having the added, uh, we have the compound effect of Brexit and COVID at the same time. So (laughs) it is a complete crisis. I, I haven't spoken to any restaurateurs that are sleeping at night at the moment that so many restaurants can't open several days of the week because they're so understaffed it's a real crisis so absolutely that shift has happened um and i but i think that for us certainly and probably globally as well covid isn't going to go away overnight there there's going to be trouble with us for, for for quite some time and in order to um in order to, to sort of try and tackle this recruitment problem or retention problem, um, I think all restaurants need to look um, at their role as employers and make it a great place for people to work. And um, by interviewing your teams about, um, you know, something like a menu project could actually be a really insightful um project that helps you um, with recruitment in the process because if you're interviewing your teams and you're getting their buy-in and they feel like you listen to them because you're asking about you know what's annoying to them and uh, what are the questions they get all the time what would what would they wish you know what what does their ideal customer look like how, how would they wish that people ate what how would their life be easier um I, I think you can sort of almost like a bonus on top of the project, you could end up with better relationships with, with your teams. Um, it used to be um, a few years ago, teams were often resistant to a new menu because it's, it's new things for them to learn. And where's the incentive for me in that? Oh, not another menu. And I, I just got used to the old one. If you get their buy-in early on to show that, A, we're trying to make your life easier, and B, we're trying to get customers to have a better time in our restaurant, which is going to mean better tips for you guys, um, I, you can you can get so, so much more enthusiasm um, around the new menu with the team. But yes, absolutely, a lot of restaurants, particularly here in, in the UK, have, have shifted towards focusing on just plugging the holes of the sinking ship that is recruitment at the moment. Um, but again, I think uh, those same principles of the way that I would tackle a menu project, um, talk to the people that matter, talk, interview the staff, find out why do they like working for you? What do they not like? What have they heard that other restaurateurs are offering that you're not offering? What are the benefits that matter to them? We've done a few staff research projects for clients where um, at the moment people are throwing all these bonuses and things into the bag just to sort of try and get a quick fix. And it turns out that a lot of the benefits that we think the teams want isn't necessarily what the teams actually want. So I can remember for this particular operator, they signed up with a business called Perkbox. It's a UK thing where you can offer all sorts of incentives for your staff, cinema tickets, Mm -hmm. free gym memberships, massages, all of this thing. So their staff had Um, access to 15, 20 benefits every month that they could have. It turned out when we interviewed them, not only did nobody use them, but they couldn't even recall what they were (laughs) and they didn't really matter to them at the end of the day. And so what we found out was that what the teams really wanted to do was to get, um, you know, a, a, a small budget so that after the end of their shift, once a week, they can all go out and have a drink together. It's the easiest thing to organize Uh, Once they implemented it, the teams were much happier and they started bringing their friends in to work with them because they said, hey, we can all go out together once a week and we have loads of fun while we're doing it. So 
by by completely by saving money, making your offer simpler, um, and actually asking what people want, you can you could end up with happier employees. And what you really want to do is identify the happiest staff and find out what it is that they like about working in your restaurant and try to focus on those things in your recruitment ads when you're interviewing people you know let your staff speak for themselves it's my advice on that i love that it's wonderfully insightful and again it's it's a testament that it's it, it really is often the the simple things that are staring us right in the face that can be the most effective i also you know from my own experience uh, managing folks in restaurants, I found one of the most impactful exercises was to really understand what their actual goals were. And not just in a generic, like, oh, where do you want to be in five years? But like, you know, what, what is it you want to learn? What is it that you want to earn? Wh- who, who do you want to become? And just really listen to them and take note of it. And we, you know, we made a spreadsheet around all of these areas. And at first there was actually you know, there was quite a bit of resistance to it. People were like, why the hell are you asking me this? But then over time, they, they were, they were more bought in and, uh, and they, they felt, you know, uh, listened to and cared for. And so I think that, I think that say a menu project could be a wonderful opportunity to ask them some of those questions as well. What, what's really meaningful to them. So I I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think as marketers, we can't market to customers that we don't know. We need to find out more about the customers in order to market to them. And it's the same in recruitment. We can't market, which is essentially what we're doing with recruitment. We can't market to potential employees if we don't know what they want and where they want to go in their careers. Totally. Well, this has been really great. I, I think I think for now, I, to be honest, I think we may need to do a round two at some point because um, this this has been awesome. I, I just, I'd like to ask, is well, is there anything that I should have asked you, but I didn't? Mm, possibly, I'm going to put my foot in it now because <laughs> I don't like to give too, too many of these away. But after we've done our research piece with the menu is when we apply the sort of um, magic that comes from a, what we know about human behavior and p- persuasion. So there are certain techniques that you can apply and test in your own restaurant. Um, if there was a single book that I would recommend that everybody reads, it's Robert, Robert Cialdini's Persuasion that basically runs, there's a new edition just out a few months ago. I haven't bought the new one yet, but it's been around since the 80s. Persuasion is a different one. He has another one. um, He has two books with similar names. I think influence. Influence. That's the one. Sorry, I got the I got the word wrong. Um, Anyway, there's a new edition just out, and he talks about the sort of seven main areas of 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 persuasion techniques that you can apply. And there's a lot of gold in there that you can apply to restaurants. And actually, the new edition has some examples um, from restaurants. I was listening to a podcast called um, The Marketing Book Podcast, um, run by a a guy called Douglas Burdett. It's a great interview. Um, One of his most recent interviews is is with Robert Cialdini, well worth listening to, and lots of examples for restaurants. But yeah, there's a a few things. I'll, I'll give you just a couple. So I already mentioned that you could you could add social proof by sort of highlighting what your best selling or your favorite dishes are. 
Um, you can also do things, you can, you can play with people's minds when it comes to the way that you present your prices. So on a very standard old-fashioned menu, you would have all of the menu items set in the left-hand column, and then a few tabs to the right, you would have all the prices neatly lined up so you can see like that's the price for this dish. We've noticed that if you, if you move the price up close to the description of the dish so they're not all in one line people stop making price-based decisions and they're actually reading about the food and making decisions of what they want so if if you're finding that you're selling a lot of things from the cheaper category this is quite often the case on a wine list people will often go for like the second most expensive wine or you know they're, they're making budget decisions if you play with moving the prices around you can you can push things that you think are more worthy of an order or you you know that people are going to have a better time by doing it that way so that's a cool one to do you can also play around with um decimals on prices so if you had a burger that cost 12 dollars, if you had 12 spot zero zero 12 dollars um people with a dollar sign in front of it people will see that's a price that's a very specific price i must think about this price mm -hmm. if you ditch the dollar sign and you ditch the decimals and just had a 12 people stop thinking of it as a price and they just go oh 12 no, it's a burger. It's 12. And <laughs> again, it takes the stress and, and it takes it takes people away from thinking about the money that they're parting away with and they're just focusing on the food. So that's something else you can play around with. Totally. I, I love that. And we uh, so I actually have another company called Nimble Bar Company. And one of our one of our services is cocktail menu development. And um, and similar to the stress of price, we also talk about the stress of cognitive load. And so what we seek to do is we want the menu to be like this slippery slope ladder where, you know, the, give them the least information at the top so that they're inclined to continue reading as opposed to bombarding them with a whole bunch of text up top, which generally speaking isn't a great practice anyway. But if you are going to have more text heavy um, items, have them closer to the middle um, so that they're more inclined to, to read down the menu. So what, what's, what's next on the horizon for you? What, what are you most excited about? Well, mostly I'm just excited that restaurants are now back open again. <laughs> and um, we no longer have restrictions on how many diners can be in a room together in the UK, certainly. So I'm just really happy that restaurants can operate to capacity. And as long as we manage to plow through this recruitment crisis, hopefully we can fill our dining rooms and serve customers and have a great time. So I'm, I'm just really excited that restaurants are back up and running. Um, a lot of people have approached me about um, I'm quite generous with advice in terms of how people can do this themselves but I also realized that we are quite expensive to work with um, on a one-to-one -one level so I am planning a, a group program where we can work with a number of people together to do menu optimization where we do it as a group and uh, there's sort of weekly tasks where okay let's all do our customer research and then we can talk about how to analyze that and we'll take a bigger group through um, step by step in a sort of course format. So I'm super excited about starting work on that. But at the moment, it's just all hands to the pump in terms of getting restaurants filled and 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 stuff um, through the uh, into the ah. 
I've just lost myself. Um, <laughs> it, it, there's just so much going on right now that I've had to put my own stuff to the side for a little bit, but I'm really excited about bringing that out, hopefully a bit later on this year. Well, Annika, I really appreciate you coming on. Are you up for a quick round of rapid fire questions? Sure. Hit me. Okay. okay. <laughs> What's your favorite cocktail? Margarita with chili. Spicy margarita. Oh, nice. Do you have a favorite tequila? Um, yes, I do. And I always forget what it's called. Um, it's something to do with the Spanish word for live. Vivir, I think it's called. Something like that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so you, you mentioned the book Influence. Is there another book or resource that has had the greatest impact on your, your success? Ooh, tricky. Um, probably start with why. Um, by Simon Sinek. I just love that book, mostly because it got me thinking about my own business and why I do what I do and realizing that actually this love for food is what's been the guiding light in my entire career. It was really nice that somebody kind of put what I always had thought into words and I can now in an easier way help share that with other people. So yeah, start with why. Love that. I think it's probably one of the, the most essential strategy books that there are. Um, if let's say the government were to give you $50,000 to grow your business, how would you spend that money? Well, sis, I would probably take three months off from client work and just take the time to build my course. And, um, yeah, that's what I would do. I love that. I, uh, yeah, I've read oh, this is such a tangent. I, I've recently come up with this concept called the the Holy Trinity of business building, and and one is product development, so like your course. The other is outreach and sales, and then the other is uh, is audience building. Um, so I've I've been I've been carving out some time to do those things. Uh, Annika, thank thank you so much for for coming on. Where where should people go to find out more about you? Well, they can go to my website, which is the number two forks.co.uk, two forks.co.uk, or better still, come and join my free community on Facebook, which is called the Food Marketing Club. You can search for us under groups. Um, there are loads and loads of restaurateurs and also food brands and drinks brands in there, all learning about marketing um, and customer experience together, sharing their knowledge and just hanging out with like-minded people. It's a great spot to be. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Annika. My pleasure. It's been great. So much fun. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Guest Getter. I'm your host, Kyle Guilfoyle. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. As always, you can head over to guestgetter.co to check out the resources in this episode's show notes and sign up for our weekly newsletter. That is it for today. We'll see you next time.